Great. Thanks for that, Steve. Appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see uh, so many of your faces online today. It is sad that yeah, it sounds like it'll be a little while before we can meet together again. Uh, but at least at least we can still um, have God's word spoken to us and, and sing together and come together in this way. Even if it isn't the full expression of church, it's still good to be able to have the ability to do this. We are starting the book of Joshua this week, uh, and we're going to spend uh, the rest of the term in Joshua. It's going to be really good. We're going to start uh, Joshua 1 today, obviously, and we're going to go through the whole book in one go. So we'll be taking it in a few leaps and bounds, but it should be really good. Uh, before we get into it, how about I take a moment to pray for us? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the book of Joshua. Father, even though uh, it's not a book that we often turn to, uh, it, it's not a book that uh, many of us are particularly familiar with, Father, we do know that it is still your word for us. And so we pray that today and over the coming weeks, as we investigate and study Joshua, that we would hear your voice, it would transform us and make us more like your son, Jesus. Father, give us a great love for this book, knowing that in it we see who you are and who your people are and how you work in this world. Father, in it you shine a light on Jesus and show us just how wonderful he is. So help us to love Jesus more over this term. And Father, I pray particularly for today, as we read this, uh, the beginning of this book, as we explore it together, help us to be focused and attentive, even amongst all the distractions of being online. Help us to be discerning so that we might know the truth. Help us to be ready to be transformed and changed. In Jesus' name, we pray all this. Amen. Well, uh, there's been a few moments in my life where I, I've been about to start something new and I was just full of uncertainty. And, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. Like when I finished school, uh, you know, finishing year 12, about to start uni, it was something new and I was full of uncertainty. Or finishing uni and starting my first full-time job outside of uni was new and, and uncertain quitting that job to train as a pastor it was unknown and new and uncertain there's been a few moments in my life where it's been like that uh, each of those moments came with different mix of emotions sometimes I was excited by the new opportunity uh, anxious about all the what-ifs nervous about new relationships uh, even relief at making it to the end of the old era but one of the main feelings that, that I often felt was uncertainty. I don't know what my life is going to be like day to day coming up. I, I don't know, would I be up to the challenges? Would I settle in? Would I be able to make relationships? All that uncertainty there. It, when you're on the cusp of a new era of your life, have you felt the same thing? During these moments of uncertainty, it's really helpful to have some kind of continuous certainty in your life right it, when everything around you changing it's, it's good to have kind of a solid foundation in your life something unaffected by the changes that could be a bunch of things you know it could be something that you take with you it could be a habit that you continue a relationship that comes with you uh something like that and, and so my question today as we look at joshua chapter one and my question today for us is what is your firm foundation in the uncertainty of life what is your firm foundation? You see, in Joshua 1, 
Israel are on the cusp of a new era, a long anticipated one. And it's while they're on the brink of this new age that God shows us and Israel what the firmest foundation is. You see in Joshua 1, we're going to see that God is the firm foundation we need in all the uncertainties of life. Uh, But before we get into the detail of Joshua 1, it's going to be helpful to kind of catch us up to speed on what's happening before the book of Joshua. So that as we launch off from here, you, you understand what are the issues, what are the hopes and anticipations of Israel? What are the fears? So to do that, we need to go all the way back to Genesis 12. We looked at Genesis last year. So many of you will be familiar with this, but for those that aren't, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham or his name was Abram at the time. And he promises Abraham that his descendants would be a nation, that they'd be so numerous, they'd become a nation. And he promised Abraham that one day that nation would have a land of their own, a promised land. And and you fast forward a few generations through the book of Joshua, uh, sorry, through the book of Genesis into Exodus. And Abraham's descendants are so numerous that they are now a nation, but they're an enslaved nation. They're in Egypt and they're enslaved by the Pharaoh and they're being oppressed. And they cry out to God and God hears them and God sends his servant Moses to rescue them from Egypt. And so God, through Moses, brings all of Israel out of Egypt. They come to the mountain called Mount Sinai. And as Israel gather around that mountain, Moses goes up the mountain and God comes down to meet Moses and Moses and God speak. And God gives Moses the law. He makes a covenant with all of Israel through Moses. And then Israel, after they've agreed to that covenant, they said, yep, we'll follow the law. We'll sign the dotted line. They head off up to the promised land. And it's, you know, the journey's less than a couple of weeks. But as they get there, they're disobedient to God. God says, this land is yours, go and take it. And they were too afraid. And so God, as punishment, says, well, you don't, you're not going to get the land then. If you don't want it, you're not going to get it. For 40 years, you're going to wander the desert. And so Israel, they wandered the desert for 40 years. And during that time of wandering, Moses himself disobeys God as well. And so God says to Moses, Moses, you're not going to enter the land either. You're going to die before Israel enter the land. And so at the end of that 40 years in the wilderness, Israel, they're ready to enter the promised land. Moses gathers them one last time and gives them one last big sermon. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, He preaches his sermon. He reminds them of the law. He reminds them of God's expectations of them in the land and the promises they've made. Then afterwards, Moses dies. And that's where the book of Joshua begins. Joshua takes place hundreds of years after that first promise to Abraham, hundreds of years after he promised him a nation and land. So Israel have been looking forward to this time for a long time. And so this really is the beginning of a new era for them. They've been anticipating this moment for hundreds of years. And finally, they're on the edge of the promised land. But at the same time, their greatest leader has just died. The very first words in Joshua, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, that is huge for all of Israel. Moses was hugely significant. If you flick back one page in your Bible to the very end of Deuteronomy, this is how Moses is described. So Deuteronomy 34 from verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these signs and wonders, 
the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. There's no one like Moses. There's no one who can replace Moses and all the uh, meaning that he has for Israel. The leader of Israel has died. The servant of God has died. Yes, Israel are on the edge of this new hotly anticipated era, but they're also on the edge of this new Moses-less era. And they're full of uncertainty. Without Moses, they're thinking, do God's promises still hold? We've lost Moses. Do they still hold? Will God be with us? How will we know what God wants of us? Are we still God's people? They're asking all these questions. And actually, Joshua chapter 1 answers all those questions for Israel. So let's dive into Joshua chapter 1. The first question that they're asking is, do God's promises still hold? Do God's promises still hold? Now that Moses is gone, will Israel get the land? Verse 3 even says God promised Moses the land, but he's dead. So is that it? A few weeks ago, Jess and I went to see Hamilton before everything got shut down and you're not allowed to go anymore. Uh, have you heard of Hamilton? It's the huge Broadway play about the American Revolution, but it's like a rap musical, so it's cool and young people like it. Uh, and there comes this point in, in the history of what's going on in the play where the American Revolution has finished, the, the Americans have won, they're setting up the new US government, but the French Revolution's happening. And the, the leaders of America, they're discussing, should we go help the French or should we just focus on setting up our nation? And the French, they helped America. And so they kind of, they're indebted to the French. In fact, they made a promise to the King of France that they would help if there was a revolution, help revolutionize everything. But that king is now dead. And so there's this awesome line where, where the, the lead character, Hamilton, he, he's arguing that the US shouldn't help France. And he says, should we help a king whose head is now in a basket? Because, you know, the guillotine. Do you want to take out that head and ask it? Should we honor our promised King Louis' head? And King Louis' is like, uh, do whatever you want. I'm super dead. And the, the idea there is because the king is dead, there's no more promise to keep. America made the promise with the king, but the king is dead. What promise should they keep? And Israel are wondering, because Moses is dead, will God keep the promise that he made to Moses? Does God no longer need to keep that promise? But God will keep the promise. In fact, God will keep the promise because Genesis 12, God made the promise to all of Abraham's descendants, not just to Moses. But if you have a look at verse 2, you, you hear God's reassurance to Joshua. This is God speaking directly to Joshua from verse two. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. God assures Israel, my promise still stands. I will give you the land. I'll give it to you as a gift, like I promised. God's promises continue. God doesn't just give up on the promise because of human weakness, because Moses is dead, because of disobedience. Because No, God's promise still holds. And we have promises too. Joshua 1 shows that God keeps his promises, but there's promises for us too. The most significant promise is that God will save people. And so in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, uh, Paul, the apostle, writes, 
if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise that we can trust God will keep. And so if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, then that promise is for you. And you you might want to investigate that promise. Is it really true? Can I really trust God? Will God really save me? What does it mean to be saved? So investigate that promise. Continue coming to church with us online or when we can be in person, join us in person. On the communication card, the link's in the chat. You can tick that box that says, I want to find out more about Jesus and we'll follow you up and help you work through these things. Because at, at MCC, we believe that promise is true. We believe that Jesus saves and it transforms your whole life. And we want you to experience that along with us. So that's the first question of Israel. Will God keep his promise? Yes, he will. The second question on Israel's mind is, well, will, will God go with us? God was with Moses. Now, when uh, Moses met God in the burning bush, God promised that he'd be with Moses. And so by extension, God was with all of Israel because Moses was with Israel. But Moses is dead. So will God's presence continue with Israel? Have a look at verse 5. Listen to what God says to Joshua uh, in the second half of verse five. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and, and once isn't enough, God says it again in verse nine. And Israel reiterated to Joshua in verse 17. God will be with Joshua and God will be with Israel. God's promises continue and God's presence continues. And it's because God is with Joshua and with Israel that they can be strong and courageous. That's, that's what it says in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for or because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Because God is with Joshua and with Israel, they have every reason to be strong and courageous. God is giving them the land. God will be with them. God's promises continue. In, in fact, uh, we see in, in Jericho that Israel don't win that battle. God wins it for them. And that's the illustration of how God gives them the whole land. Israel, all they have to do is take hold of the promise. God does all the hard work. And so they can be strong and courageous. And, and that strength that God says you can have because I'm with you isn't just for Israel and Joshua. It's for us today too. And so in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, God promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? God is with us, just like he's with Joshua, just like he's with Moses, just like he's with Israel. And so we have nothing to fear. Our strength and our courage come from God's presence with us. Our strength to serve God's people comes from God's presence with us. Now, 10 years ago, did I ever think I was going to become a pastor? Not a chance. No way. Did, I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I had the ability. I didn't think I had the skills. I didn't think I had the strength to do it. But God, by his presence, has given me the strength to do all these things. And I'm sure you all have experiences of times where God's given you the strength to do what you never thought you could do. As we think about the church and as we think about our community and how we can serve one another and then how we can then reach out as a community to gospel everyone, God gives us the strength to do that. You know, we can do things we never thought possible. 
do you think you could never be a kids church leader? I've taught many, I've led with many people who said, I will never be a kids church leader, who turned out to be fantastic kids church leaders or growth group leaders, maybe being up the front of church, all these things that we might think, I could never do that. But God is with us. We can be strong and courageous. God empowers us to serve the church. And so uh, maybe um, someone in church is asking you to do something that you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Trust God and give it a crack because God is with us. So our first two questions, will God's promises continue? Yes. Will God's presence continue? Yes. Third question, well, how will we know what God wants of us? You see, Moses was the one that received the law from God. Moses was the one that received God's direct revelation. Moses was on the mountain when God spoke. Moses received the tablets of the law. Now he is dead. How will Israel know what God wants of them? Well, the law, the law that God gave Moses, God has already given his word to them. The law is God's word. If they want to please God, listen to and obey the law. You know, uh, when, when I was uh, at, in uni and at Bible college, I had uni holidays, right? You know, three months off, mid-November to mid-February. It's like forever. It's so long. And, and there's just not a whole lot to do. There, there's a little bit of college work, but not a whole lot. Uh, after I got married, Jess was working as a teacher. So Jess was working while I was on holidays. And so because I had that time off, I kind of took the responsibility of doing a bunch of the housework and stuff. But being the person that I am, it wasn't really a huge priority for me, right? And so Jess would leave me little notes in the kitchen bench, a list of jobs to do. It was very reasonable. She didn't nag me. She's just like, if you do those three things today, Tim, that would be great. But here's the problem. When I got up in the morning, I would like head straight past the kitchen bench to the coffee machine and make a coffee. I didn't see that note all day. I wasn't at the kitchen bench all day. And so Jess would get home and be like, did you do the jobs? And be like, what jobs? She's like, the jobs on the note. What note? And there'd be lots of frustration. But Jess, she's smart now, you know. She starts putting the notes on my coffee machine so that I can't miss them. So that before I even turn on the coffee machine, there's a note there saying, Tim, do this, this, and this. She's pretty smart. And it helped me know what she wanted me to do. And I, and I did it and everything was great. And uh, our marriage is fantastic. Don't worry. God spoke to Israel as well. He told them what he wanted of them. He didn't have to put it on a sticky note in, uh, on their coffee machine. No, he put it in an ark of the covenant. All of Israel had the law and God calls them to commit again to the law and to obeying the law. And so that's what we see in verse seven and eight. Uh, God says to Joshua and so to all of Israel, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Israel already knows what God wants of them because he has already told them what he wants. You see, God's word continues. Obedience happens through studying God's word. Joshua was told to keep it on his lips, to meditate on it, to be devoted to it, to study it, to know it, to love it, to live it out. That's how Israel will be able to please God. And it's the same for us too. If we want to live the life that pleases God, we listen to him in his word. 
We don't need anything else. We don't need mystical experiences. We don't need feelings. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need to guess what God wants for us. God tells us in his word. That's why Christians are Bible people, because it's where we learn what God wants us for our lives. It's where we come to listen to our creator and our savior speak to us. Christians are Bible people for that very reason. And so we're seeing, will God's promises continue? Yes. Will God's presence continue? Yes. How will we know what God wants of us? In God's word. The last question Israel thinking, well, are we still God's people? Are we still God's people? And this one's a bit of a tricky one because what happened as Israel was wandering the land is a few of the tribes of Israel, there's 12 tribes of Israel, two and a half of them realized that some of the land that was actually just on the other side of the Jordan River to the promised land looked pretty primo. And so they said, you know, Moses, I know this is kind of on the wrong side of the river, but do you mind if we have that land now? And Moses is all right. Okay, you can have it, but you have to promise when it's time for us to enter the promised land, you will come with us and you'll conquer the land with us. You won't just sit on the other side of the river, on your lawn chairs, having fun. You have to come with us and help conquer. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you're going to discourage all of God's people and it'll lead to rebellion. And Moses didn't want that. And God doesn't want that of his people. And so now on the very edge of the promised land, Joshua turns to those two and a half tribes and he says, remember your promise. Remember what you promised Moses. You will come with us into the promised land and help the conquering. And have a look at their response in verse 16. Joshua 1 verse 16. Then they answered Joshua, that is the two and a half tribes, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you commanded them, we will put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And their response is, absolutely, we're coming. Yes, we will obey you like we said we'd obey Moses. We're going to be zealous for you. We're going to follow you. We are with you, Joshua, and we are with you, Israel. Imagine just how encouraging it would have been for Joshua to hear that. You know, he's coming up to him going, you know, you promised this thing. Are you going to keep your promise? And they're like, yes, of course we will. We're coming with you. We're not going to divide God's people. We're still united. We're one nation. Even though Moses is gone, who we made the promise to, we will continue with you. God's people continue. They're united. They're together. And do you see that unity among God's people isn't just a nice thing to have? It's actually essential. Moses was concerned that division would cause discouragement and discouragement would cause rebellion. But the opposite of that is that unity brings encouragement. As God's people are united together, we're encouraged and we encourage one another. And so you can see how this might work for the church. God gathers people to himself in his son, Jesus. And so now we should be united together. This doesn't mean you have to be best buddy buddies with every single person at church, right? You can't have that many best friends. But it does mean we need to love one another, to mutually encourage one another. We need to be a community full of encouragement. One way to think about encouragement while we're doing church online is about how we look, right? Well, while we're not meeting together physically, it's hard. But there is a way that we can do it online. 
you know, sitting in front of a TV or a computer or an iPad or, or whatever you got, it's a, it's an awkward way to meet together, isn't it? Like, I get that. It's the strangest thing for me now to look directly into this camera and talk to you all. It's really weird. But we can still encourage people by how we look, by being aware of, of the kind of the image that we're giving off. You know, is your video off or is it on? If it's on, do you look bored or do you look engaged and excited to see those people? When we're singing together, are you joining in singing or, or are you just sitting there? The way we look can actually encourage or discourage one another, can actually make us feel like a joyful community or one that's just slogging it out in this difficult time. Now, these things, they're awkward. I get it. I feel the awkwardness of them too. But I've forced myself because I want to encourage you and I want you to encourage me too. I want us to be united together by encouraging one another. So flick that video on, smile, look engaged, look excited, sing along at home so that we can encourage one another and remind one another, yes, we are God's people together. Let me finish with one final thought. We've seen those four questions. We've seen that, yes, God's promises continue. God's presence continues. God's word continues. God's people continue. And so as Israel, they're standing on the, the, the very edge of this new era. They're anxious, excited, nervous, relieved, uncertain. God is with them. God's promises continue. God continues. God is a steady rock in the storm. God is the firmest foundation for all of Israel. What's your foundation? You know, in all the ups and downs, in all the uncertainty, in all the pain, in all the suffering, in, is God your rock? Is God the thing that you take with you that fills you with certainty in lockdown, in sickness, in health, in a new job, in unemployment, in whatever it is? Is God your rock? It's Jesus, our Lord, your rock. Because if he is, we can be strong and courageous. We can face absolutely anything. How about I pray? Father God, thank you that you've spoken to us in Joshua 1 today. Thank you that you've shown us that you are the firmest foundation we can have in life. Thank you that you've pointed us towards Jesus that fulfills all your promises. That is God with us, who is your word and who gathers people to himself. Father, I pray that we would love Jesus more as we read through Joshua together. Father, I pray that in all the uncertainty of life, we would turn to you as our firm foundation and know for certain that you love us and you've rescued us. Amen.